0: You're listening to The Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are in a sermon series called uh, Love's Pure Light. We're doing some tricky stuff. This is a meat and potatoes series. This is a little less fun and a little more like let's get into some scripture and figure out what's going on with our life and our church and, and for us, because Advent really is, is is a time of introspection. If you don't know, we have questions and answers at the end. Please feel free to send any question you have. I mean, literally anything. Um, it'll be down here at any time. I like to try to make this a dialogue as much as possible. Uh, But yeah, we're doing a sermon series through Advent, and and again, if you don't know, Advent is a a time of introspection. It's supposed to be a time of of anticipating and waiting and thinking and, and, and looking deep within us. In fact, one of my favorite thinkers, Fleming Rutledge, which is what a great name, right, says, Advent is a time for making a fearless inventory of the darkness. And I know our world is like, had Christmas stuff out since July, But we are taking a deep, dark peek on the inside. We're thinking through our own spiritual journeys here. Advent has five candles. Each week we light one more. Hope reminds us of Abraham and Sarah. God's hope for the world. This is the prophets and the peace that God talked about. Oh, next week is joy. You You get a reprieve in the middle of Advent. A little, a little bit of spark of joy, the last one is love, and the middle one is the Christ candle we light at or around Christmas. My boss's bosses came up with five guiding goals for churches and for believers that they wanted us to talk about, and so I'm connecting those five things to the five candles. I hope that makes sense. Uh, we're doing cross-cultural collaboration that was tied to hope last week. We're doing life-giving holiness today because we want to be a holy people, and we're going to talk about what that means. Christ-compelled multiplication, that's discipleship, love-driven justice on the week of love, and then God-given revelation on the week of Jesus' candle. Tying those together. Does this Mm -hmm. make sense? Last week I think I overcomplicated it, but it's also a complicated thing. Take a picture of that, study it, there's a test next week talking about holiness today holiness i think you know what it is there's part of you i know for sure because you're created in the image of god that has a profound and deep understanding and we're going to try to talk about this mystery of the thing called holiness and the words we have are only analogies right they'll, they'll never capture the whole thing but i think we can get a better sense of what holiness is and what god's intention for holiness in our life looks like at the end of this uh a very basic and technical definition. Let's start with some definitions. It means t- to set apart for the use of God. Well, it started getting used when they were thinking about this thing called the temple, and they they said, well, maybe the stuff in God's temple shouldn't be the same stuff as we use in our houses, though it'll look the same and it'll have the same function, but maybe it should be set. Maybe it should be different. It should be set apart. It should be used for good, and God. And so this is what holy becomes, uh, at least at the beginning. But then it takes on these bigger ideas. Uh, another great thinker that I, I think is Mildred Bangs Wynkoop, uh Another incredible name. These women are crushing names over here. She's a great thinker when it comes to holiness. Uh, an incredible church leader out of the Nazarene Church in the early 1900s. And she wrote books. Uh, she became a professor and all kinds of stuff. Holiness is wholeness and health. And that's really the language that I use when I talk about holiness. And everything God requires of the person from the first stirrings of conviction to the last act of life is in the interest of that wholesomeness. And she would say, and our tradition would say, and people can disagree, we're, not, we're, not, we're just talking about the same stuff in different ways, but really holiness is about growing in love. For God, right, we love God with our whole self, and for our neighbor as ourself. This is what Jesus says the two greatest commandments are. And so holiness really in our tradition is about about growing in that love of God and love of self. Because then you get folks like Augustine in the 400s who would say, or Augustine if you're fancy. Out in Thermalita we say Augustine, but uh, he would say love and do whatever you want. Because if love is the motivating factor, you'll be fine. So holiness is about growing in this in this love. Words we're going to use, sometimes maybe interchangeably, but I just wanted you to, to know. We're going to talk about holiness. We're going to talk about this word called sanctify, which is it's really the same word. It's about growing and, and holiness. And sometimes we'll use righteousness, which is a very close, related word. What's the bad news? Here at the table, we start with the bad news because we think if we can understand the bad news that we're living, we'll be better receive the good news of the gospel. And the bad news is that we've made a huge mess out of holiness. Made a huge mess out of this. Became about laws and rules and what you can and can't do. So we get stuff like this, right? By the way, this is probably going to be the screen that shows up on Facebook. It's just going to be me, like, (laughs) figure out a way to go. They're like, that church is wild. Uh, But, like, don't, you know, it's like, I don't. Cuss, smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do, right? Like that's... And then with bedroom activities, right? Sexual immorality is a huge thing that comes up when we talk about holiness. Any kind of card playing, if you grew up in our holiness traditions, certainly gambling, but it turned into any other card game, except if you're real old school holiness. There was a couple ones you could play on the side. What was it called? Like Rook? Was anybody... Remember? I didn't grow up in the church. I was out in the world doing all this stuff. But uh, it's like some churches are like, "Uno, mm, you can't come here." You know what I mean like? We like to talk in holiness, we like to talk about the rules of like entertainment. Sometimes we just we want to make sure people are being careful about the entertainment, but we pretty much lost this battle, but it became so holiness became so rules-based that you couldn't even go to the movie theater in fact there are some traditions that were like if you see one of our people at the movie theater just assume they're not one of our people anymore like they're on site out you know what i mean um dancing was a big one no dancing the the school i went to to become a pastor just allowed dancing in the 2000s y'all again i didn't grow up in the church so i dance they had to deal with me. I also didn't grow up in the church, so I worked at a movie theater. My pastor was like, <gasps> I was this worship leader. I was like, I work at a movie theater. He didn't say anything. Dancing was a big deal. I had friends that could go to prom if they promised not to dance. I read, you don't even know how many pamphlets I've read on the dangers of roller skating. It gets silly, right? And we made a mess out of holiness because it was never supposed to be a list of rules. Certainly, living in, in line with God's holiness means that there are going to be things we say yes to and things we say no to. But it's never going to get chucked up to a list of rules, do's and don'ts that we can't do. It's supposed to be instead. It's supposed to be something God has done in us, and for us, and is is doing something in us. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the good news of holiness, life-giving holiness. Um, You know how we preach here, head, heart, hands, something for us to know with our head, something for us to experience with our heart, something for us to do. So we got a holistic faith that moves not just from information, but out to transformation, and then out into mission, into the world. But today we're going to do, we, I got my whiteboard, and I don't do this very often, but whiteboard Sundays are my favorite Sundays. We're going to go through the whole, we're, we're going to go through the whole biblical story. Please come out easily. I don't know if you saw it over here and got excited, but <laughs> makes me happy. We're going to go through the whole biblical story. There's some, there's some verses missing, starting in Exodus, ending in the last chapter of the Bible. But I want to give a big picture idea of what's going on with holiness and what God is doing uh, in this because it, it morphs and changes throughout Scripture, especially when it comes to Jesus. Here's what I'm going to try to convince you of, and it's, it's a little esoteric. It's, it's, it's hard. I mean, this is, again, meat and potato stuff, but this is what we, we got. We got this giant thing called holiness that we have to kind of live out through our life and our discipleship and our baptism. So I'm going to try to convince you that you need it. I'm going to try to convince you that if you're following Jesus, you already have it. And then I'm going to try to convince you that you need to keep practicing it. Does that make sense? I just wanted to give you that before we got into it. But what does God want us to know with the head point? What does God want us to experience? That blank slide means let's do some drawing. Um, So... When I conceive of holiness, sometimes I think, um, and I don't know, know, I mean, it's not, a. again, we're talking about analogies, right? But this thing called holiness, especially when it came to God, uh, it was this powerful force. The closer you get to the sun, the more dangerous things become, right? Things that end up in the sun end up no more. And this was true in the beginning of Scripture, that the closer you got to God, the more dangerous it was. So we get to Exodus 3, and we see this burning bush. And we see Moses standing before it in the wilderness. And God calls out from the burning bush to Moses. And Moses goes over and checks it out, and God says, Stop right where you are. For the ground that you're standing on is holy. And Moses takes off his shoes and he covers his face. There's something about God's holiness that makes it dangerous for Moses to be there. In fact, I summed up in the beginning of Scripture. Our sinfulness made God's holiness dangerous. Does this make sense? It was too much for us. And so God comes up with a system, a plan, because God wants to be with us, but we're broken people who disobeyed, ate the fruit, fell, uh, you know, back in the garden, and allowed sin and death to enter the world. And so when God's talking about God's temple, he, he, he comes up with ways for us to be able to draw close. It has to do with these things called clean and unclean laws, or impure and pure laws because uh, ultimately what happens is we get a temple. This is the temple. Let's do one of these. Let's do a couple walls. I don't know how many walls there were. I think there were three. This is the top view. This is where God is. Let's make it a sun again just for... This is a terrible sun, y'all. It looks like a fried egg. It's a sun. This is where God lived. It was called the Holy of Holies. One time a year, one priest could go in there. Everybody else had to stay out in these areas. I think this was priest area, men, women, children who were Jewish, and the Gentiles, I think, out here. Um, And to get close to God, you had to do some things or not do some things. And so God gives a list of that stuff. Essentially, there was food that was an issue, right? If you ate pigs or shellfish... Or anything with a split hoof. I don't know what has a split hoof, but I, you read the Bible and it says split hoof like 400 times. Don't eat those animals if you're Jewish and in the Old Testament, right? If you ate that stuff, you were unclean. But also bodily fluids made you unclean. Certain bodily fluids, so like infection and pus made you. Blood, if you touched blood or had blood issues, you couldn't go in there. Um, men, semen and ejaculation, you couldn't go in. Uh, and death, if you touch things that were dead, those things, so death, blood, infection, disease, sickness, this stuff made you impure and unclean. I read through the scriptures during Lent, I read through the whole whole Bible, and one of my big takeaways this time through was that being unclean didn't mean you were a sinner. It wasn't bad to be sick. It wasn't bad to have blood stuff going on, right? Cycles and stuff like that. The sin came when you tried to approach God's holiness in a willy-nilly kind of way. That's official scripture, willy-nilly. Like a, and when, you, when you weren't thinking about those things and you tried to approach, get close to God. Being unclean didn't mean you were sinful. It just meant you weren't in the right state. And so, the early parts of scripture... Are trying to convince you, and it gets carried on even into the New Testament, that our sinfulness makes God's holiness dangerous for us. And ultimately, what scripture is trying to convince you is that we can't see God without holiness. My points are just based out of the scriptures. I'm really just repeating them. This comes from Hebrews 12, which is in the New Testament, near the end of it. Pursue the goal of peace. Hey, there's the candle of peace, there's a connection along with a, a peace along with everyone and holiness as well because no one will see the lord without it you need holiness you need it to see god this was true then it's true now we don't do this anymore we'll get to that that why here in a second can't see lord when is it now or in the future it's both let's go quickly about how we understand salvation i'm going to get through this We're going to go. We understand that there's four different aspects to what it means to be saved, to be right with God, to be a follower of Jesus. There's my Windex. I got excited about turning this and I forgot about it. Hey, we believe there's a thing that that God's working in our lives before we even come to know God. That God is working in in our, when we're children. I didn't grow up in the church, but God was working in my life even before that. Prevenient means the grace that comes before, that God was keeping me safe and working on my heart even before I started following Jesus. The second bit is called justifying grace, and this is where we we would say we were saved. This is where I gave my heart to Jesus, where I started following Jesus. And so we believe that's the moment, right, where you you move from death to life. Uh, And then the next part It's called sanctifying grace. And this is where you grow in holiness. This is where God is working in you to grow you so you can become more like Jesus, that you can grow more into that love that God wants for us, so that we can love God with our whole selves and love our neighbors as ourselves. And then the last bit, just so you know, is perfection. And I'll let you figure out when that happens in this life or the next. But I will tell you, we believe God's grace is so powerful and God's love is so powerful. It's so much stronger than our sin that we think that when Jesus tells us to be perfect, Jesus can make that happen. So what does that mean? Well, it means God's working to save us. This is what we talk about. We were saved at justification. That's the fancy word. We are being saved right now and we will be saved Salvation isn't that one thing that happened to you when you were seven years old and prayed. That's part of the process. But we believe that God is growing you and saving you and sanctifying you and helping you grow into that holiness. You need holiness to see the Lord, and we believe that that is part of the process here. That's why I brought this up, because you need holiness to see the Lord. Holiness is something we need. Are you with me? You agree with me? Are you on on track with me? Great. How do we get it? That's the next question. If you need it, give it to me. We cannot see the Lord without holiness. So, what does God want you to feel? Two passages I want to go through quickly here. First one is Isaiah 6. So, in the beginning, we had that temple and we had those rules about bodily fluids. But something starts to change, even in the Old Testament. I don't know if I'm spelling Ezekiel You're right, I apologize. I went to school for a long time, but... Here's what happens in Isaiah 6. Isaiah is a prophet. He has a vision that he's standing in the Holy of Holies. That place, the center of the temple. By the way, it was a giant cube. 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits, which is like 32 feet by 32 feet by... 30. Maybe the size of this room if it was taller. And he has this vision that he sees the throne of God. And he sees uh, God's robe flowing all throughout the temple. It begins, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he sees these angels, scary angels, all the angels are scary, right? Every time they show up, they're like, please don't be afraid. And people are like, ah, oh. they're like chattering their teeth. It's so scary. But he saw ones that had six wings. And with two wings, they were covering their face. And with two wings, they were covering their feet. And two wings, they were flying. And they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. And when he heard that song, he realized, I'm not supposed to be here. Because my sinfulness makes God's holiness dangerous. And he says that, I'm a man of unclean lips living among a people with unclean lips is what he says. And at that moment, one of the seraphim, what is it? How do I draw six wings quickly? It's scary, y'all. Takes one of the coals from the altar, right? It flies it over. Do I got it? I'm drawing Isaiah. I imagine he's got hair like this. <laughs> flies one of the coals over and he touches his lips. Something changes. God's holiness isn't dangerous in the same way. God's holiness now heals him makes him different makes him able to be the one whom God wants to send to the people to declare God's message so we see this start to transform Ezekiel 47 we see the temple again and he describes there's the door and he says he, he notices that there's some water trickling out from the door comes from the throne and he says, this, this angel walks me out about 1,500 feet and he says it starts to turn into to a puddle that's about ankle deep and then we walk another 1,500 feet. It says 1,500 like 15 times. It gets knee deep and then it gets waist deep and then it said it's I could, I'd have to swim. It was too deep to cross and then the angel brings him to the side of the river and he sees Life fruit trees and flowers, right? He has a vision about God's holiness flowing from the temple and creating life in this desert. They're starting to get a picture that maybe the way God's holiness works in the world is going to be different than how we thought. Maybe instead of it being too dangerous for us, maybe it's going to be transformative and healing for us. We don't really know what to make of it until we get to Jesus. Jesus comes, and Jesus claims... I'm going to stop drawing because this is getting out of hand. Jesus claims to be the temple of God, the place where heaven and earth meets, the place where God dwells on earth. And Jesus walks out to all these unclean people with bleeding issues and death issues and infection issues. And Jesus touches them. And in the old way, he should have become unclean because you're not supposed to touch unclean things unless you get unclean. But when he touches them, they become healed. Something changes with Jesus. This this picture that these prophets got about God's holiness being transformative instead of dangerous becomes real in Jesus. And then he says he's going to send the Holy Spirit to us, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in us. And as his followers, we would become like him and be able to touch things without becoming unclean. But we get to transform. And, and, and he says that food stuff, the shellfish and the pig stuff, he's like, it's not the food that makes you unclean. It's the motivations of your heart. He says, go ahead and eat, just eat whatever you want. And that's Mark 7. That's my favorite passage. He says, go for it. <laughs> Bacon wrapped scallops on the menu now. You're like, thank you, Jesus. I appreciate that. (laughs) The old conception of holiness is changing. God's holiness is transformative instead of dangerous. What does God want us to feel? That we already are holy because of what Jesus has done and are also becoming it. And there's a tension that we have to hold. It's both and. It's not either or. You have it and you're becoming it. Yeah? 1 Corinthians 3, 16-17. Don't you know that you are God's temple and God's Spirit, Holy Spirit, lives in you. God's temple is holy, which is what you are. You were washed clean and you were made holy to God and you were made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. You have it. You don't have to get it. You don't have to earn it. The rest of this is going to be about how we live out what we already have. Amen? You feel good? We are made holy by Jesus. That salvation thing where we give our hearts to Jesus and then we begin to follow Jesus and he begins transforming us so that we get to look like him and act like him, follow his ways. Jesus is doing all the heavy lifting here. So what does God want us to do? We're wrapping up. You got questions, send it. What does God want us to do? to do this is going to be simple but god wants us to be holy here's your passage but as obedient children you must be holy in every aspect of your lives just as the one who called you is holy it is written you will be holy because i am holy so When Jesus is resurrected on Easter morning, he sits down with his disciples and he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then we get Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit descends on all the followers of Jesus. We call this the birthday of the church. It's also called Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit inhabits us. And then the followers of Jesus begin going out and doing the things Jesus did. Touching unclean folks and not becoming unclean themselves but transforming. I only have one more thing I want to show you, and then I'm wrapping up here. Because I thought this was helpful for me. The Holy Spirit in in Greek is, uh, that P is silent, like pterodactyl. Numa hagias. The name the Christians get who start following Jesus is saints. We love our Catholic brothers and sisters, but they have this whole section of sainthood that is you have to do a couple miracles and you have to show it gets it gets well, there's a lot of rules to it. In the Bible, a saint is anyone who follows Jesus. And that word, saint is the Word. I'm going to break my pen. I'm pushing so hard. Please. i got two more letters to write here. Hey! The Bible calls us saints. It's the word "hagias." The Holy Spirit enters us. Just the holy ones. Or the sanctified ones. It's the same word. God expects holy living from us because he has made us holy through his death and resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And so when, when we're writing the New Testament and they are talking to the church, Paul calls us the, the holy ones. That, that's your name, saints. You're the holy, because you got the new Mahogias, you got the Holy Spirit in you. That's your identification as part of who you are, but it's also uh, it, it brings an expectation about how you live in the world as obedient children of God. Be holy. Why be holy? Because God says I am holy. Jesus says in different language, but same meaning, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I know we hate that word. I know we hate it. I know we, it just means mature, complete. It means grow up into. It means reach the goal of following Jesus in your life. I always say this. We, the Romans and the Greeks have different perceptions of, of perfection. Roman perfection is not a scratch on it, right? It's, it's perfect. I think of like a car. It's cherry, right? Not a scratch Everything's clean. The Greek concept of perfection is that it gets from A to B. That car doesn't have, it could be banged up, dinged up, broken out. Does it get you from A to B? Perfect. It fulfills its function. It does what it's supposed to do. Our job isn't to be flawless. Our job is to become like Jesus by the empowerment of His Holy Spirit. We are the holy ones. Powered by the Holy Spirit, we are becoming holy, practicing holiness, and helping bring all of the world into God's holiness. Because in Revelation 22, I really am wrapping up. We'll be here all day. I'll just talk about this all day, which is my last passage. Last passage, Revelation 22. John the Revelator gives us a vision of what the world is going to be like. The whole world is going to be God's temple. The whole world is going to be God's throne. And Ezekiel's river is there. Right? Then angel showed me the river. This is at the end of your Bible. And it was the water of life. And it flowed out from the throne of God through the middle of the street. And on either side of it was trees that bared fruit. That was for the healing of the nations. This holiness thing we have is something we have. It's something that God is doing in us. It's something that God wants us to practice, but it's a mission that God has given us to help the world experience the goodness of God. The Holy Spirit is transforming us to say yes to God's stuff and no to ungodliness. There will be things you say no to, but it's not a list of rules. It's practicing out that thing that God has given us, not because there's a list of rules to follow for God to love us, but because we have been set free from the things that lead to death and are empowered, equipped, and encouraged to live in the flow of God's will and ways for the world, for our lives. That's a big passage. I'll skip it for you but this is a theologian named Rudolf Boltmann, and we don't agree with all of his theology, but he has this line that has shaped so much of how I think about some of this stuff. He just says, become what you are. That's what God wants us to do. Become what you are. Jesus has made us holy, washed us clean. Become what you are. I think about this in all kinds of other ways, right? Like Jesus has made us brothers and sisters, but we are strangers sometimes become what you are already right we're becoming what we are in jesus questions answers you have any questions answers criticisms um answers to any questions i posed anything you want to add i'm going to grab my phone you think about it holiness Somebody asked, can I eat the chocolate sitting next to me if no one's there? (laughs) Yes, you can. Does the idea of prevenient grace, that work that God is doing before we start following Jesus, does that work... But does, that, does that mean that God is working in everyone, even if they don't ultimately end up becoming Christians or following Jesus or converted in this life? My tradition says yes. And we believe the Holy Spirit is working in everybody's life. Peter tells us it is the desire of God that all should be saved and come to know Him, and so we do believe that the Holy Spirit is working in Him. There are some traditions that say no, and we love them as brothers and sisters, and we just one of those disagreements we have. Um... But I say, I I think so. I think God's working in everybody's life to bring them to a place of understanding, a place of um, becoming a a full child of God. Thank you. Great question. So hopefully you have a better understanding of holiness about why some people do the things they do, why some people don't play cards or, or drink, or some people don't dance. Good night. Got to dance. I mean, it's biblical. You dance at weddings at least a little bit. Just, just tap your toe. I think Jesus will forgive you. But there's reasons why some people don't do some of the things that they don't do because they, want, they want to keep living out the holiness that God has for them. How do we practice holy living? I just came up with four things, and then I'm going to pray us out. First of all, how do you practice holy living? You have to do away with earning. You're not earning this. There's no performing this. God isn't going to love you anymore or any less because of the list of rules that you follow. God already has given you the Holy Spirit when you said yes to Jesus. So you don't have to earn this. Uh... I want you to know that this is an identity you already have in Jesus. This is something you have, and and so how we practice holy living is that you need to own that Jesus has done this for you. And anything you do is living out of this authentic self in Jesus. This holiness that you already have because the Holy Spirit already dwells within you, and you've been washed clean, and you've been made holy, 1 Corinthians 6 says. But then you should check in with yourself. If you're doing some lying and some cheating and some stealing and you're greedy and you're envious and you're over-consuming things, right, this, isn't, this doesn't make God love you less. But it might be an indicator light that you are not living out the thing that Jesus has done in your heart and life. That you are uh, living out a false self, a false discipleship, a false way of following Jesus. Lastly, Stay plugged into the source. Peter is quoting a passage from Leviticus where God says, you will be holy because I am holy. I always am a big proponent of practicing your spiritual disciplines. Keep close to the source of holiness. We're holy because God's holy. You're here. You're doing one of the big ones. Probably the holiest moment of our week is communion. But reading your scripture and praying and being with people who are are trying to live out the holiness that Jesus has given them as well is helpful. And maybe not spending as much time with people who are trying to drag you into things that would pull you away from Jesus or pull you away from what God has for you. Here's what we talked about today. With our head, we can't see God without holiness. You have to have it. Something that you need. The good news is is you already are holy and are becoming holy. Holy. Jesus has already washed you clean and made you holy. 1 Corinthians 6 says, the Holy Spirit already dwells within you. But you still have to practice it. You still have to live that out. Even though it's an identity that you have, it's something that Jesus has done for you. And so you must be holy, just as God is holy. You must become what you are, practicing out that holiness before the Lord. Last call for questions. Light your candles this week. That's your spiritual practice. Would you pray with me as we move into a time of communion? Thank you, Father. Thank you for this weird, mysterious idea that I think we have an understanding of. We know when moments are holy, when we're in a hospital room or when we're at a wedding. Or sometimes just listening to that song and we just feel overwhelmed. I think we intuit holiness in a way. Would you help all these words and stories about Isaiah and Ezekiel? Would you help that to give us language to this phenomenon? That you want us to have it, that you. You've done the hard work and heavy lifting, but you have an expectation that we live that out in the world. Would you help us to do that? Would you help us to be people that can do that together, that can be encouraging one another, helping one another strive towards becoming more like you and grounded more in your love? And As we come to this holy moment of communion, where you promise to meet us here at this table, In this cup, would we come with expectant and anticipatory hearts to see you, to be near you? We don't understand. It is another mystery. But your promise to meet us here that we can draw close to you and to your holiness, would that be infectious for us? Would it be not dangerous, but transformative and healing? we will give you all praise and all things saying this in Jesus name table church will you finish this prayer with me by saying the Lord's prayer saying oh there it is our father who is in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.